Greetings, and welcome back to another episode of Controllers and Couches. I'm one half of this duo, uh, Full Metal Chicken. I am the other half, Steph Fafal. And I said the ah uh, because I just realised you don't put milk with oolong. Well, oh, well. I thought the agreement was you were oh, putting honey. Hello. I can get you another cup if you no, like. No, it's fine. No, it's fine. This is, just, this is the week of stupid for me. Stupid, stupid, stupid. That's what I am. Stupid. Very much stupid. And the bookshelf is shaking. Tune in next week to see if Full Metal Chicken gets cleaned up by a shelf. <laughs> Don't say that. Knowledge by a yeah, osmosis. Tune in next week to see if we're streaming to you from quarantine. <laughs> Which is also, you know, talking about quarantine, if a tree falls in a forest and lands on a mine, does anyone care? Did you say mine as in... No, mine as in... A mine. The French mine. The French mine, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, yes, welcome back. And uh, on this week's episode, we talk about stuff. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. What's so, fan? Um, well, you know, apart from me still getting injured, I don't know how I've been doing it. It's amazing. Um, Painkillers are amazing. Paracetamol <laughs> is amazing. If anyone and, from ASIO is listening, he's, I promise you he's not abusing hardcore drugs. No, it's just... I'm just stupid and injuring myself. But I believe the flavor of the month is Corona. And as much as America is saying, oh, you know, profits in Corona have dropped 38%, apparently they've gone up by five. So, um, yeah, that's it's quite funny. Real. Yeah. According it's to the UK Post, real. news is real. So apparently everyone is freaking out. But as we sort of discussed last time, the same people thinking that drinking Corona will give you the coronavirus are the same group of people that think chocolate milk comes from brown cows. So, <laughs> it's kind of up there with... <laughs> no, don't do that. In the sense, doomsday preppers. There's a little mosquito, a tiny mosquito. one, flying around your head. Oh, boy. It went that way. It so, if come. it comes back, you're going to need to... Splash it. I'm just going to close this door. I'm going to smash it with a hammer. The mosquito repellent should be working. Maybe yes. it's time for a change. And if you want me to smash it with a hammer, please put in, you know, 500 subscriptions. And I'll <laughs> smash it with a hammer. What's new in your life besides uh, your painkiller addiction? I am one camo off uh, getting gold camo for the MP7. What challenge do you have to do now? Um, I have to get five more long shots. Oof. Five more long shots, that's it. And then it. have you mastered every weapon of the class? Uh, no. Oh, geez, the way you were carrying on, I no. thought... No, so far I've got um, gold for the the Row 9, or R9, uh, whatever, and the MP7, nearly. So can you unlock gold by unlocking just one weapon? Yes. Because back in the good old days, you had to master every weapon of the class. No, before you that could one's get gold, diamond and platinum anything. now. Oh. So they've got gold, platinum, and Damascus. Because remember the good old days of Black Ops 2? Where it was rare yeah. for people to have diamond weapons, and you predominantly saw diamond sniper rifles or diamond assault rifles. But I had a diamond LMG. Yep. My favourite was the hammer. Nice. The hammer's nasty. And people would actually kill me and pack hunt me to get the to LMG. get my LMG. Yeah, and it's just crazy because essentially, I've been toying with people camping. Like today, when we were discussing it, there was a guy that was, um, you know, force spawning in a corner with a flare. And I was literally hunting him, figuring out where he was. And what I was doing was 
I'd set up the ammo, like just an ammo box, and then I'd lob Molotovs at him at the same spot. How long spot. do boxes last? Crates, I should say, last for this time. Uh, I reckon it's like a couple of minutes. Yeah. And then you can shoot them as well and they explode, as usual. Your ones or the enemy ones? Both. Well, you shoot yeah, them? so I've had enemies come in and try and get my ammo, so I just detonate them. I thought only one team, like the friendliest, mm. could use it. I didn't know it could support, supply both teams. I don't, well, I've never actually tried. I just shoot them when I see them. Yeah, because it gives you like 50 points, yeah. 25 points, one or the other. All that cabbage. But, um, yeah, and I, I think just at the moment, we've got, uh, I think Warfront is starting tomorrow, which is Battle Royale. So uh, I don't know if I'm going to check that out. I'm just, I've been cycling shipment and uh, shootouts. So all the other stuff is just because the connection's so lagged, you jump on ground war and you spawn dead. You know, it's... It's pretty it's, tough. Yeah, so... It's annoying. I'm going to pre-order NBN tomorrow. Yeah. So that'll be should, done. We can go from like 5 megabit per second to 15. Well, it says oh. up to 50. Yeah. Is it up to 50 or up to up, 45? Up to 50. So. In, uh, in off-peak, so... Yeah. It's, it can't be worse than what we have now. No. So, that is so, it. Um, but yeah, gaming-wise, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Because um, I've just... Yeah been um, sorting stuff out mm. all the sorting but uh, yeah apart from that um, yeah I haven't read anything this week I finished the Sarah J Maas um, House of Blood and is it Earth and Blood or Blood and Earth so oh, yeah, but on a scale Christmas of City. 1 to 10 how many hemoglobins can I give it out of 5 hemoglobins sure hemoglobins 3 hemoglobins 3 hemoglobins which is approximately 6 out of 10 well, when you put into perspective that I've never never given her below five out of five stars, yeah. it's a bit of a heartbreak for me, but pff, what do you do? It's a bit meh. Yeah. I'm glad I got around to reading it, to be honest. Yeah. Not many people have. No. I know everyone, it's a busy time of year, but not many people have gotten around to it. I feel like when her books used to come out, people used to like even make videos about them trying to get it done within 24 to 48 hours and... Like, people would wait and camp for the book to come to their house. Yeah. And they'd just film themselves reading and vlog it, kind of. Yeah, it's just... So. It's weird. So... I... Look, I'm not going to say... she She's an author. She's an artist. She's allowed to go down whatever creative path she wants. True. Um, it's her work. It's her life. And if people like that, that's fine. I'm not saying it was terrible, but I'm saying when I put it into perspective of how her other stories and her other books have... Like, her other series are one of my favourite series of all time. I would reason to say that the Court of Thorns and Roses series is a tie to Twilight for me. But Twilight is my favourite because I read it at the right time and it meant a lot to me at the time. Yeah. I know it's, it sounds really stupid, but like Star Wars was for you or is for you. That's what I'm not saying it's not cringe looking back literally over ten years later. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying it meant to like reading it today I don't get the same feelings that I felt ten, fifteen years ago. But in my head I can still remember what it felt like, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I loved I loved the Quarter Thorns and Roses series. Just a little bit less, I would say, than that. Yeah. But I love that series. But this one is just kind of not I don't want to use the word mediocre, but it was just average. Yeah, which is you know. It wasn't her usual flip, but that's alright. 
Let's say. You can't like everything. Well, not that I said I said like I didn't not like it. You can't a hundred percent, you know, stand for everything that a creator puts out, whether it's music, a director, an actor, an author, a yep. videographer, whatever. But that's just my personal opinion on the matter. Still stand, still supported. I still bought her book via two media. You know what I mean? I'll have it forever. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Yeah. So, but my life updates just been literally in the lab. Yeah. Catching up on stuff, getting ahead, which yeah. is good. Working on my thesis outline, well, my introduction chapter outline, literally about, I want to say two thirds to three quarters of the way through that. Um, but yeah, chugging along my automobile. Dun, 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 dun. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So, um, that's pretty much it from uh, the, you know, I suppose. Oh, we did do a haul. We've got three things, bookie wise, if you want to talk about yep, them. Yeah, sure. So, Why don't you uh, start with your one first, this one? Oh, yes. That one, you were uh, really excited about. So, I got Eagles at War um, by. On sale! Ben Kane. Um, so, essentially, it's to uh, a time for vengeance, a time for war, a time to die. AD 9, Germania Frontier. Close to Rhine, a Roman centurion, Lucius Tullus, you know, prepares to take his soldiers on patrol. And that's pretty much it. So um, it's all to do with, you know, Romans and legions. So I like that kind of stuff. So I saw that and was like, ooh, could be cool. Why not? And uh, yeah, even when you open to page 134, it says, very good, sir. So I see that as a bonus. Hold on, um, just while you're holding it. Sure. Eagle at war. Apologies for the typey tippy. Um, apparently it's book one in the Eagles of Rome series. Um, he has another... So this is based on actual historical events. Um, where they... The Germans are led by one chieftain who's an ally of Rome. And um, they talk... It's sort of like... Oh, I don't want to say it's sort of like... But, and then it talks about... There being 14,000 men who were killed. Um, and then it's called Eagles at War because their um, legion yeah. was called an eagle. Nice. So, yeah, apparently it has a 4.3 out of Ooh, 5 stars. That's a good start. Um, and it's got 1,415 ratings, so that's actually pretty good. That's a decent book. Yeah. Um, came out 23rd of April 2015, so... It's, it's, a, a, it's good. Like, it's a solid read. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people are four or five stars here. That's just good. Just scrolling through. That's what we want. Yeah, so fingers crossed it's... I could read. Yeah, let me know how it goes. All right. Um, I saw this thing, and look, we were all Goosebumps fans. I remember being a kid, my dad and I watching Goosebumps. Yep. Um, and so he, being the author, R.L. Stein, the creator, I think he's like put out a YA series, or like YA stories, for lack of a better term. Um, yeah. And so I think this is two books in one. Um, and the first one's called Fear Street, Super Thriller. And the second one's called Party Games, Don't Stay Up Late. Got it really super cheap. Um, and like, even if it, it's going to be good. Yeah. I know it is. And I just, yeah. Mm. I think it'll be, look, if we lock down in quarantine, we're going to need some books to read, okay? Oh, so a heap of books to read. Here we go. 
Um, oh, do you want to talk about this one or do you want me to talk about this one? Oh, you can talk about that one. You sure? Yeah. I, I thought you could add some flair to it. Flair. Ooh. Okay, this one's called uh, Ghosts and the Spirit World. True cases of hauntings and visitations from the earliest records to the present day. Which we got heavily, heavily discounted. <laughs> like, stupidly discounted. Um, <laughs> That's what convinced us yeah, to just so bag it. I love the first line. Can ghostly arms really appear out of walls? A.K.A. Uh, like, how hard are you tripping balls? You know? Do you know that... Look, I'm not saying I stand or subscribe to this thing, but... It's like, so it goes through and there's a chapter on uh, main hauntings. So, for example, like, chapter one is phantoms in photos. Chapter two is tales of restless spirits, which is the more common one. So, if someone dies in a um, very heartbreaking, difficult, devastating, painful way. Like through the middle of an episode of Home and Away? Yeah. Yeah. if you have an uninvited, like, uninvited guests to, like, hauntings in the house, the living dead, I don't know what that one's referring to, many happy returns living with the dead. And it looks like it's... Dude, how can you say that this is referenced, like, peer-reviewed? You can't. Yeah. But look, we were talking about how um, there's this book that I found where... Hold on. It's actually here while I'm on my Goodreads. Sorry, two seconds. Um... And I saw one of my friends put it to their want-to-read shelf. Haunted healthcare. Medical professionals and patients share their encounters with the paranormal. It's written by Richard Estep, researched or whatever. And we were talking about that. And literally two minutes later, we went to the discount table and saw this book there. And we were like, oh, that's creepy. That's creepy. And like I said, I'm not saying I subscribe, but you know what? If the means of this podcast getting some extra research, if we decide to cover something, it could be interesting. Absolutely. So, but um, I was um, mile higher. I was listening to one of their episodes where they had a guy who debunks paranormal stuff. He's a paranormal investigator, but he de- debunks the dumb shit. And he was saying how, you know how people say when there's a haunting, like say that we went to a prison and we were yeah. doing the overnight haunted tour, and then they say, oh, I'm chilly. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, that means that the spirit has entered the room. No, what they say is that when you're scared, you're you feel cold, right? It's a response. Your blood goes to your core, so your skin feels cold. Right? Extremities, you, you go into shock. And you know how they say, "Oh, it's caused by the ghosts releasing energy." Well, this guy goes, "When you release energy, it's heat, mm-hmm. not cold." Yep. So you, you know would walk I mean? into a Why room. Why are you looking for cold spots? When you'd be looking for hot spots. If it suddenly got really, really hot, then you'd be like, oh, hang on a and second. And so I'm listening to this guy on the most random podcast, and I'm like, you know what? This actually, it was like 6.50 yeah. <laughs> on a Saturday mo- on Saturday morning. I'm like, this guy actually makes sense. Why didn't I think of that? This is the basic laws of thermodynamics. Thermo, yep. not thermite. Sorry. Thermite is fun, though. <laughs> we love thermite. Um, in terms of gaming, I got... Really, again, heavily discounted. We actually got boosted. Well, you got boosted your account to the top and final tier on EB Games yes. membership. How do you feel about that? Yeah, pretty chuffed. You only needed less than four ninety five to <laughs> tie you over. So um, I got the collector's edition of Shadow Wolf Mysteries tra- Tracks of Tear. You know what we forgot to do when we were at JB? Ask them about disc drives. Yep, we've got the disc drives. Do that before quarantine. So, Add yeah, it to the portab- quarantine list. Portable optic drives. Add it to the quarantine list. 
So uh, um, yeah, I need to get one of those. Uh, and so it, it's point and click, and it was really kind of cheap, and I was like, eh. Um, probably really stupid though. You never know though. Yeah. Hey, look, it'll provide six hours of entertainment because it's a collector's edition. Yeah. If you know, um, you actually picked up two things, and they're the exact same season. Huh? Uh oh. I'm joking. They're not. I'm oh, good. See if I. Um, when I was younger, I watched a series called Black Lagoon. When I was, when I was, when boy. I was younger, back in my when day. I was a young whippersnapper. When I was a young whippersnapper. <laughs> um, yeah. So I picked up uh, seasons one and two of Black Lagoon. Um, basically, you know, happy-go-lucky gun-toting. Um, the happy, happy-go-lucky gun-toting mercenaries for hire. So it's Deadpool, but anime. Yes. Yeah, and no of. regeneration. Yeah. So essentially, uh, yeah, that's the long and short of it. I don't want to wreck it for anyone. But, uh, Out of how many tens that you recommend when you were a boy, would you give when it? When I was a lad. Um, I'd give it about probably an 8.5 oh. out of 10. Cool, It was just... the Probably yeah. the only funniest thing that I saw apart from that was uh, Full Metal Panic and Full Metal Panic Fumofu. Now, the reason why Full Metal Panic Fumofu was hilarious was they do training in these teddy bear suits and then the soccer players are trying to build this their morale. direction I didn't know it was going to no. go. They, um, they train the guys in well this particular character trains the squad in hand to hand combat and um, you know tactical warfare so essentially they're getting crushed in their soccer matches absolutely caned so he you know trains them to do like all this counter terrorist stuff and all that you know, like, you know, a SWAT team would, um, military kind of, you know, special operations. And then the soccer match is just hilarious because they go from being the worst team on the planet to literally carnage. So, yeah, um, Black Lagoon, uh, check it out. Also, Full Metal Panic. What's the um, anime that I wanted to get into with the vampires uh, go to the school at the night? Vampire High School. Is it Vampire High School or Vampire Night or something? I can't Might remember. Be. One of those two, yeah. So. Um, oh, I forgot to say, last week, did we talk about Fantasy Island? No, we didn't. I think because I forgot. Yeah. Give us a number. Non-spoiler I, number. I'd probably give it like a six and a half, seven. I was going to go six, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how brutal I was being, so I thought I'd ask you first. Yeah, I'd probably do that. To be fair, how good is Lucy Hale in, like, I know it wasn't Absolutely. technically a thriller, but in like creepy movies. Yeah, really, really good. Um, I think, yeah, she was really good, but if you've got nothing else to do, but, you know. It's, it's worth a watch. But definitely The Invisible Man was ten times better. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of people are raving about it. Just, mm-hmm. there's some unnerving parts on it, and you sort of go, oh, I was not expecting that. Alrighty. Um, do we want to head into the quiz? Sure. Let's do it. Okay, jokes. Alright. So, Drum um, roll, please. So, uh, today's quiz. Only a real Harry Potter fan who was really paying attention to the books and movies can pass this Hermione, Hermione trivia yeah. quiz. Um, so... The story is, I used to be a massive Harry Potter fan, and I just want to test how much I remember. Yep. Okay? Oh. And 
you could be the normal baseline. Yeah. Because you, you're not a massive Potter fan. Yeah. Righty? Yeah. All right. Question one. When's Hermione's birthday? September 19th, 1970, 1979, sorry, September 19th, 1979, or December 20th, 2020? Um, I'm going to go September 19th, 1979. You would be correct. Woo! Yay. Okay. That was a guess. What's her middle name? Jane, Sophia, Jean, or Rosie? Um, I'm going to say Jane. Oh, oh well. Oops, my bad. That's alright. Um, okay, which of these girls did not share a dorm room with Hermione? Uh, Ginny Weasley, Pavati Patil, Lavender Brown, Faye Dunbar. Ginny! What about you? Uh, I was going to say Pavati Patil. Yeah, go for it. Uh, nope. Her last name was nearly Puckle. True or false? Uh, true. Yeah. Uh, she oh. didn't think that it suited her well, so... Okay. In uh, Chamber of Secrets, what object did Hermione use to ensure the basilisk only petrified her and didn't kill her? Uh, nearly Headless Nick, the mirror in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, Colin Creevy's camera, Penelope Clearwater's mirror. Um... I'm going to go for Colin Creevy's camera. Um, I went for the mirror in Moaning Myrtle's room, and then I quickly realised that I was incorrect. Oh. Whoopsies. Okay, so what is Simone's worst subject? Muggle studies, <laughs> divination, transfiguration, potions. Um, I'm going to say muggle studies. No, divination. Oh. Okay. She didn't gel well, and she said if it's not like book smarts, yep. it's not like it's an applied. And... People are going to hate me now. Um, they're not. Okay, so Hermione's bogart took the form of which professor to tell her that she failed her exams, a.k.a. her worst fear? Um, Snape, McGonagall, Dumbledore, Flitwick. I'm going to go Snape. McGonagall. Uh, Snape. Snape. Whoops. Severus Snape. Severus Dumbledore. Snape. Dumbledore. Um... <laughs> When things were getting too dangerous toward the end of the series, where did Hermione send her parents after erasing their memories? Austria, America, Amsterdam, Australia. I'm going to go Australia. 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 G'day, mate. Um, so then there's, what animal form does Hermione's Patronus take? Patronus. Patronus. <laughs> Patronus. This is no. Patronus. Uh, cat, mouse, otter, deer. I'm going to go otter. Yeah. Oh, okay, I've got one. And lastly, in Chamber of Secrets, uh, which (laughs) Slytherin girl did Hermanoir attempt to turn herself into? Uh, Pansy Parkinson, Millicent Bulstrode, (laughs) Daphne Greengrass, Daphne, 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 Tracey Davis, Millie Bulstrode. I'm going to go Pansy Parkinson because it sounds funny. Um, uh, okay, so let's see. I got an F because I got four out of ten. Hermione would be horrified to find out that you got a failing grade on a quiz about her. You must go back and read the books and watch the movies immediately <laughs> I think not. before you get us all killed or worse, expelled. Woohoo! <laughs> Can your friends beat you? Yes. 
I got nine out of ten, so it's a B plus. Good job. You didn't ace it like Hermione would have, but you've put in a valiant effort. After all, we can't all be the brightest young witches or wizards of our age like her. What are some of your favourite moments in the books and or movies? Let us know in the comments. Oh, awesome. Yeah, alright. Pretty good. Could have been worse. It could have been. Could have been pretty bad. Could have been very bad. Alrighty. Um, heading to the weekly news. Yep. Um, I'm going to give you... Look, I feel like everyone wants to talk about coronavirus. Yep. So I'm just going to give you some main things cool. that have happened early this week. I feel like we should have like a mini coronavirus wrap up, right? Yep. So basically, the Socceroos World Cup qualifier has been postponed. Um, the Victorian Premier has said that we should be prepared to see schools close, sporting events to be cancelled, which is a massive deal for Melbourne in itself, yep. and whole sectors of the workforce told to stay at home. He said that any hope of containing the outbreak in Victoria is now essentially gone because a pandemic phase is now inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back onto the sporting thing, the AFL, or the Aussie League, the football, yeah. the chief, uh, Gillan McLaughlin, is saying that even if we're playing games in empty stadiums, we will do that. Yeah, I saw this clip where Ronaldo was high-fiving an imaginary, you know, because they didn't want people in the, the stadium. It's just, you know, crazy. So, basically, the players and schedules are going to go ahead. Um, in Australia, seven coronavirus... Sorry, um, in Victoria, seven coronavirus screening clinics have opened, including one at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Yesterday, they saw 120 people, um, and apparently there were many, many wearing face masks um, outside the clinic today. Yeah. So, good on them for getting checked out I guess I hope that they weren't exposed to anything see that's the thing they think that the incubation time is actually shorter than what it is but the duration for which you are contagious is actually longer and also uh, no disrespect to the people who are sick or think that they are sick because they're just out there to seek treatment Mm -hmm. and to get told what they're diagnosed with but also like to point out that that hospital is in dead smack center of the city so how are those people going to get places oh wait public transport yep and that's a big problem because contained spaces with all the other people spreads so for anyone out there if you want to see how kind of a pandemic works look up a game called pandemic uh, actually that, scarily quite accurate scarily quite accurate as a simulator and the other thing that is paramount is antibiotics do not work for a virus let's make this very very we clear we said this last week yes. when the government yes. was saying the Australian yes. government was like oh we're going to stockpile antibiotics now and, I understand that's good if people get sick then get bacterial infections yes, absolutely a, a comorbidity yeah. or whatever but we need you know, antivirals. And at the moment, there is... To be fair, we don't know what will work yeah. this strain anyway. And no, for that person sitting there saying, well, oh, white phosphorus would work. No. Michael, stop. For plantations, yes. You know, forests and stuff, maybe. But, you know, no. Just... Back on to schedule. Back on track to our uh, normally The Victorian read- government is also asking recently retired doctors... Um, nurses have been bitten by a mosquito uh, and paramedics to your dribbling on yourself <laughs> <laughs> to put their hand up and assist us 
in this time of a public health emergency. Mm. So essentially, volunteer your services, go home and make your family sick. Right? That's what you want. And most, most importantly, Miley Cyrus <laughs> has announced she's uh, no longer coming to Australia to headline this Friday's Bushfire Relief Charity concert in Melbourne. And can I also say, good fucking riddance. Yep. But that's a different story. Yep. And uh, also, <clears throat> Scotty from Marketing, <laughs> he's releasing a virus stimulus package with... How weird are those words? Very weird. All cinched, like put together one after the other it's going to be worth weird. 10 billion dollars um apparently health and aged care uh, facilities will receive hundreds of millions of dollars in extra funding and that kind of makes sense because we were talking about it before mm-hmm. that they're going to have to actually employ people to live in the aged care being nurses and staff mm-hmm. because they're going to need to stay there in a quarantine period and they're not going to be able to go home because there's a chance of them getting infected and if they get infected who's going to take over the caretaking roles Nobody. No. So that makes sense. Um, and the government will also see export costs temporarily axed um, and small businesses will receive cash payments to keep them afloat, which is interesting because cash payments, how are you going to claim that, especially in the time of quarantine, because uh, banks aren't really going to be accessible, but that's a different story. Yeah. Um, and apparently the committee that's deciding all of this was told that there is an expectation that this crisis will last about six months before a bounce back. Great. So that's what the government is kind of planning um, all their controls, for lack of a better word, around. So basically, it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot before worse. Before it gets better. Yeah. I still can't believe we're not being told to stay home currently. No. See, here's what I think... Do you want a conspiracy theory? Sure, Gabriel. I think they're telling and they're propagating, no, don't stock up mm-hmm. and giving us time to actually stock up But because in two weeks it's going to happen. Because also what's happening too is the pandemonium of, okay, you now have got, I'm going to throw in the upper class, lower class. Now, you've got people who have large amounts of money. They're going to be able to stock up a large amount of stock. People who are low-income families, you know, settling payments, that sort of stuff, have a very limited income. So, therefore, they're unable to bulk buy. So, essentially, they're going to get stressed. They're going to get unwanted pressure put upon them. Um, so, essentially, people going crazy at the moment are making it harder for people to buy basic And I'm not saying there's people who are like, hey, I might as well buy three, four packs of toilet paper now are wrong. No. Because at the end of the day, we don't know how long it's going to no. last out for if you're going to be able to get toilet paper when you actually need it. What we're saying is the people who are going out and buying 100 packets and then selling them on eBay... Exactly. People who are profiteering... For 100 bucks each. Uh, the, the people that should not be allowed to purchase it. Not the people who are like, look, I might as well just buy some now because I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it because yeah. everyone's going crazy. But like you said the other day, it's going to suck when this craziness dies down yeah. because there's going to be all this toilet paper around and people are going to lose their jobs yeah. because they've produced all this toilet paper but the company hasn't made any money to offset the increased production and wage costs to run yeah. the facilities and the the production line. Exactly. Because there was one guy that wanted to... like He put a, you know, a request out to try and sell some toilet paper for 50 bucks or something and a news crew rocked up. And then he didn't want to go through with it. It's absolutely stupid. Yeah. Toilet paper. Who would have thought? 
but this is what this is what the mentality is and there's the people who are just trying to make their way through if we get a quarantine then there's the people who are now making bank off other people's misfortune and the thing is now we're getting to the stage where you can't tell the difference between the two because people no. are panicking about actually buying toilet paper because they actually need, need it, toilet paper and they as can't. opposed to people who are there to run like you said a profit scheme the yeah. Ponzi scheme, whatever the hell you want to call it, I don't know. But it's also interesting now that the toilet paper is front line on the news. We've also got the share market crashing. See, this is what I don't understand. If people are spending money buying stuff at the supermarket, how is stuff going downhill? Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I'm sorry. Let me explain it because I'm an idiot. I'm not like as well versed. <laughs> in economics and business but if people are putting money into the economy they're spending more money yeah bulk buying products shopping hoarding i don't use the word hoarding but stocking up on stuff yeah. right that money is going somewhere absolutely why why is everything shutting down or are people taking their money out of trade is that the point yeah so people like selling their stocks to nobody but selling look, their stocks back to the company, yeah. getting their money out, and then the company's left with nothing. Is that what's happening? Kind of, because certain certain companies will float because of this, and others will crash. And I mean, a lot of the Asian market is suffering because you got people are just inherently racist. Exactly. Um, so obviously, because most people will look at the American market heavily. Um, anything coming out of the U.S. Treasury, like it's for instance, the rest of the world essentially. Like just eleven hours ago, gold jumped one point six percent to seventeen hundred dollars per ounce. So things like this, there's other factors that are now coming into play because what most people think, oh, it's it's crashing, sell, 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 no, 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 hold. Hold, no, 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 buy, 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 because it's crashing, so you buy at a lower value. Then, you make your money. in a month or two, it bounces back with a 20% increase. Then you sell, sell, sell. But people are saying, what people are saying is, there isn't going to be a peak again for months. Yeah. That's the problem. And it's just weird. But I don't know. Look, I'm not a... But business analyst no neither am i and it's just seeing little things where the market is crashing and what people are you know benefiting from this but the fact where we were discussing earlier where people like italy has airlines for 150 yeah why are people allowed to travel yeah no it's because they want people to go because they're losing their tourists like i get it but also it's a health sure you can catch a plane there but how long is it going to take you to get back? Well, look at the people who went on the cruise and they've yeah. been there for... They're stuck. I think they've... Have they come off now or is there a second cruise that's... Oh, I'm not 100% sure, but... It's, um... Let's see how much a flight to Italy right now costs while we're here. Sorry, if you hear me scratching, it's because i got a mosquito bite putting the Bad mosquito. out. Um, or maybe... Because I swear to you, I saw people saying that it was... Really cheap. I don't know. I don't know. The cheapest one I can find right now is $1,211. Yeah. So maybe that value is American. Possibly. Who knows? 
But anyway, I guess we should move along. Um, what I wanted to let you know is uh, Doom 64 is going to have new content. Really? When it's re-released to Switch, PS4, Xbox One and PC. Um, apparently, senior developer James Haley said in an interview that um, they're adding a new chapter and they're saying that it takes place after the events of Doom 64, um, which is set after. So it's like Doom 2, Doom 64. And his quote was, the mother demon you defeated in that outing had a sister. And since you've been messing up hell non-stop, she tries to get rid of you by sending you away. Mm. So you can either decide to make your way back, take revenge, um, and you'll be rewarded with a bit of lore that fans, both series, new and classic, should enjoy. Excellent. Because this is what we want. You know. Is Doom 64 the new one that's coming out? Mm-hmm. No. So the... The the it's basically a remaster. This one that's coming out. No no no. So no, oh, no. it's second game. So the the classic yeah. Doom sixty four. This will um be a remake like remix. a remix <laughs> a remake but the I think new it got Doom. On my arm too. Oh, Dang it. No. <laughs> and it'll be set after Doom two, which is cool. Sweet. Alrighty. Um. Is there anything that you would like to talk about before I get started with today's uh, No, I was just happy with um, Doom coming out, uh, Cyberpunk 27.7 coming out. Um, also, I was quite happy that, uh, yeah, we managed to take down an orc. That oh, was, yeah. in um, Pathfinder. Pathfinder. So that was fun. Um, yeah. Still haven't gotten revenge on that bloody cultist, to be no. honest. No, cultist. But this time... Uh, for anyone else out there who likes full plate mail, I'm very good at sneaking because I roll ones. So, yeah, very stealthy. Like, you know, banging around in a pantry in the dark full of, you know, pots and pans. Nobody here, nobody here, yep, nobody here. So. I saw this TikTok a couple of days ago and there's a guy who's going to walk down these stairs in Canada. Yep. And he rolled a one. Oh, no. So he just jumped off the balcony into some snow. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it was hilarious. That's funny. He didn't hurt himself, so that's yeah. why I'm saying it's funny. It's not like he was there to be a jackass. Yeah. Um, cast member. But anyway, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. Alrighty. Um, so, if I can stop itching my wrist, today we are going to cover this last, seventh, and final ancient wonder today. The Lighthouse Alexandria. Um, personally, I think I can say that along with the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, I knew the least about this one um, before researching. Yeah. How about you? What do you know about it? Um, that, there Alexandria? was, well, you know, there was lots of light available on this topic. Really? And we're going to shed some more light on the topic. Yeah, but what do you know about it before I go in? Or you... It was structurally phenomenal in the way they built it um, because essentially you need to build it on the rock and you've got to transport all the material out there. So even in, you know, the early 40s, 50s, 60s, like 1940s, 50s, 60s... It's still a tough job. It's still a tough job. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, crazy. Even today, I feel like we look back a lot of the time and go, how did they do that? Oh, and also we saw a copy of Ancient Aliens... <laughs> season 12 part 2 today and we laughed and we made the 
uh, one of the sales attendants laughed because I was like, oh, we should buy that. Yeah, and you can tell that. <laughs> we oh. should watch that. And she chuckled, so that was a win. Anyway, um, so I sourced today's material from Encyclopedia Britannica, the Ancient History Encyclopedia, the Roscrucian Egyptian Museum. Um, is that it? Yep, pretty much. Uh, let's dive in. Are you ready? Yep, ready. Cool. So, once again, just to put it into perspective with all the other ancient wonders that we've covered thus far, the Lighthouse of Alexandria was built 12 years after Colossus of Rhodes, 71 after the mausoleum, sorry, 71 years after the mausoleum at Halicarnassus, 155 years after the statue of Zeus at Olympia, 270 years after the Temple of Artemis, 320 years after the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and 2,304 years after the Great Pyramid of Giza. Yep. I think every time I do one of those summaries, in my own head, I still am shocked that they built the Great Pyramid of Giza so early yep. in relation to the others, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Yes, it does. So, um, the Lighthouse of Alexandria, sometimes called the Pharos of Alexandria, was a, you guessed it, lighthouse built by the Ptolemaic Kingdom during the reign of, you guessed it, Ptolemy II Philadelphus, who reigned between 218 and 247 BC. BC. Uh, The lighthouse itself was estimated to be at least 100 metres or 330 feet for our American brethren. Big feet. In height. Um, and for the time, again, we've said this for almost every single other ancient wonder, because it was one of the largest structures around in, at that point in time in the ancient world, that's why it was put onto this list. Yeah. Um, so, before I forget, I want everyone to make a comment, um, and you yourself, do you think any of it remains today? Um, yeah, I reckon some of it remains. If it's so, it's probably at the bottom of the ocean. Cool. Um, otherwise, people have, like, you know, where it was located, I think stuff's been knocked down yeah. and it's, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm cool or, with that. Or stuff has been taken away. Yep, cool. I'm cool with that. That's very logical. All right, I want to let, let me know, everybody, what your yes, sir, thoughts and stuff. Oh, tapping for a refill. Tapping oh, for a so refill. And today's tea was brought to you by Oolong. It's not short. Too. It is long. So, uh, You've got double pour today, guys. Double pour, yeah. So I'm trying to cut back on the caffeine late at night because otherwise I'm going to be up it all night gaming. It says the two cups of tea, black tea. Actually, yeah. it's not black anymore at 8.30. Yeah, that's green. Okay. Yeah. Is it? No, that's green tea. Then why did you put milk in it? I know. That's why I was like, Ugh. Okay. So, um, apparently, it set the standard for all lighthouses that have been built ever yep. since. Uh, the keyword that they use is archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, again, um, because it was one of the tallest man-made structures, it's ranked second behind... Uh, the Great Pyramid of Giza, yep. which is evidently the tallest. And that makes more sense because the way they built it. Yep. It's not like they had to build a, you know, rigging structure to build up the level because the pyramid, they had ramps yep. that kind of went around the pyramid. Like a cigarette. Yeah, and then they chipped it away from memory as they worked their way down. Yeah. So, um, apparently, I didn't know this, but its light was provided by a fire burning close to the top every night and it was enhanced by a burnished bronze mirror. Mm. So the mirror part is a part, obviously, Steph, they made a fire. 
Yeah. But the mirror was the part that I didn't know about. Imagine if it set fire to something. Like, if it reflected the light, if that makes sense. Like a magnifying glass. Big fire. Really big fire. Yeah. Um, So many ancient descriptions of the tower describe a statue at the tower's apex. But many historians actually believe that it was a um, statue of Zeus. But it's also got other depictions and in other writings. And they say that it could have been many other various gods or rulers, um, such as Ptolemy himself or Helios. Um, Helios! Is, we spoke about previously. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Um, I guess going a little bit more into the history. So, Pharos was a small island and it was located on the western edge of the Nile Delta. Apparently in 332 BC, Mr. Alexander the Great founded the city of Alexandria, named it after himself, because that's what you do. And because he was great, 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 great. Yep. Um, And then, so Alexandria and Pharos were later connected by a mole, which um, from my various extensive research, um, and now I can't remember where I put it, what is a mole again? I think it means, um, Jesus, I can't even remember. Hmm. I forgot to add that dot point in for my main notes. Yeah. I'm so sorry. What is it? A mole. Well, yeah. It's a, uh, well, it's not an animal. No, no, no. It's a, oh, it's a pier, a breakwater. Sorry. So there's a massive breakwater. That's right. Okay. It's like a mini pier out of rocks. Yeah. Like, you see at beaches and stuff, so that way the waves don't erode the sand away. Yeah, so it was just set up and... Yeah. yeah. Like, you know what Free Willy jumps over? Free when Willy! When he's free? Yep. And the kid, um, Jesse, is standing on those rocks? Yep. That's what a uh, mole yeah. is. Yeah. So this um, breakwater spanned more than 1.2 kilometres, or 0.75 miles. Yep. And it was, eventually, it was um, called at the time a Hippastadion. Um, or seven stadia because at the time a stadium was a Greek unit of length measuring 180 metres so some quick maths seven times 180 pretty damn big yes imagine running that good luck with that you know I remember at the athletics carnival at school I would not do any other things apart from the 1.5 kilometre run and I actually did pretty well lots of running no, I'm being serious. Didn't do the 100 metre, didn't do the 200, not the 300, the 400, the 450, the 500. No, no, no. 1.5, thanks. Yeah. I remember it having to be four laps around. Jeez. Did it every year for a while, and then I was like, wait, you don't actually have to do this. Yeah. And then I remember for swimming, I after high school, after year nine, I think, um, I used to say, sorry, I left my bathers at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Um, so the east side of the breakwater became the Great Harbour, um, which is now an open bay. And on the west side was the port of Eustos. Uh, yeah. And it forms like the inner basin, um, which is now very much enlarged since, and that forms the harbour that stands there today. Yeah. Which is really interesting when you think about the additions that are made literally centuries later. Oh, absolutely. I don't know, but that just sounds really cool to me, I guess. Um, so today's city layout infrastructure development um, is 
between the Grand Square and the modern Raza Tin Quarter, um, and it's built on the uh, slit, which gradually widened, and it kind of like moved the breakwater away, for lack of a better term. And then so eventually the Raz et al. Tin promontory yep. um, is what's left of the island of Pharos. Jeez. Over time, I guess, it just... Eroded. Yeah. So the site of the lighthouse is at the eastern point, and it's been quite weathered away by the sea, and that is actually, like, phenomenal. Yeah. When you think about it, that any part of it is left... Because water is actually a really strong force. Absolutely. Like, yes, it takes time for it to break stuff down, like a road, but... There's a lot of force behind that. Yeah. Um, so the lighthouse itself was constructed during the 3rd century BC. Um, Alexander the Great died, and the first Ptolemy, Ptolemy one Sota... He announced himself king in 305 BC and he decided to commission the um, lighthouse itself. And then when the building was finished during the reign of his son, Ptolemy II, Philadelphus, he took 12 years to complete the building at a total cost of 800 talents of silver. Mm. So the light was produced by furnace at the top, which we said, um, and then that was kind of focused with the bronze mirror. And the tower was said to have been built mostly with solid blocks of limestone. However, because the lighthouse, we already estimated like, oh, it's a hundred over 100 metres tall. Yep. The use of limestone as the main material would be quite doubtful because limestone itself is quite weak in nature, yep. um, quite brittle. So people think that under the weight of it. if you're building it that tall it would just crumble away so other people have since postulated because it would like collapse under its own weight i guess is what i'm trying to say more eloquently so people think no maybe they used pink granite that was found much more commonly nearby to um build it because it's much stronger in structure and it can withstand more weight it wouldn't collapse under itself yeah uh the lighthouse was built in three stages and they all sort of sloped slightly inward. The lowest was square in nature. The next was octagonal and the top cylindrical. Yeah. Um, and there was a broad spiral ramp that led to the top where a fire burned at night, obviously, to guide ships because oh, that's what yeah. a lighthouse does. Ships. So not, there was this... spaceships. Yeah. Lots of... Not spaceships. Yes. Well, sea ships. Sea ships. River ships. I don't know. But, you know... Because technically the Nile's a river, but... Um, yeah. Awesome. As they say, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. <laughs> so, now we're going to talk about this guy called Strabo. And he was a Greek historian and philosopher. And I feel like everyone during that time was like, I'm a Greek, so I must be a philosopher. But whatever. Mm-hmm. So he reported that um, this Ptolemy's son, Ptolemy II, uh, had a dedication to saviour gods inscribed in the middle letters in the lighthouse um and then Pliny the elder who we spoke about before who went around and just like recorded stuff and he was a bit of a historian and scholar um he wrote that Ptolemy II was the architect but that's kind of disputed because his father kind of if you put the timelines together the build started when his dad was still alive and very much the king um so it's believed that his father 
yes, his father passed away, but he was the one who instigated the build. Yeah. And then his son, Ptolemy II, took over. Ooh. So, uh, in the second century AD, Lucian wrote that Str- uh, the second, well, the son had um, had hit his name under the plaster, bearing the name of Ptolemy, so that when the plaster fell off, his name would be visible in the stone. So he like put his name under his dad's, so that way after it sort of fell off, his name would be there. Um, it's said that blocks of sandstone and limestone were used in the construction and had been um, analysed, and that they were shown to be, um, I, I don't, what's the word, not collected, har- mined, yep. um, from Wadi Hamamat. And that's a dry riverbed um, in Egypt's eastern desert. It's about halfway between Al Qasaya and Quena. Uh, and it was known to be a major mining region and trade route yeah. in ancient times on the east side of the Nile Valley. Um, and legend says, please ignore the next door neighbor's dogs, we love them. Um, legend says that the people of the island of Pharos were um, wreckers in terms of like say that something happens so say a Greek came past and their ship sank yeah they would go out there and they'd harvest whatever they could yeah and bring it back that kind of wrecker if yeah. that makes sense like a, yeah yeah um, what Star are those Vision. teddy bears Tug in Star Tugs. Wars oh Ewoks that's the one like them uh, oh no not the Ewoks the black the guys oh, with the black faces sand, and the black uh, cloaks yeah, yeah. and the sand red people. eyes sand people yeah because as we discussed if you removed all the genetic abnormalities from an Ewok you wouldn't have anything left uh Yes. They're cute teddy bears. They save the day. Oh. Rabies. And anything else. Space. You know, space rabies. I digress. Back to Lighthouse. It's fine. Um, so that's why the Lighthouse was built to guide ships into the port at night. Because yep. they'd be out there collecting stuff. They needed a way to be guided back home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Pharos became the etymological origin of the word lighthouse in Greek. I'm sorry, I'm not a linguist, but I thought this was quite interesting. Um, so, many Roman languages, such as um, French, who say far, uh, Italian and Spanish, faro, Calatian, Romanian, far, and Portuguese, farol, um, and even some Slavic languages like Bulgarian say far. Um, in Turkish, Serbian and Russian, even though technically Serbia and Russian are Slavic to some descent, um, the word means headlight. Yep. So I thought that was pretty cool. So the lighthouse still remains a civic symbol of the city of Alexandria, and apparently the um, Alexandria government, um, in which the city is more or less kind of coterminous. Yep. Uh, so there's a stylized representation of the lighthouse that appears on the flag and seal of this governorate of Alexandria. And it's also um, present like on many public services of the city, as well as um, being incorporated into the seal of Alexandria University. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, in my opinion. Um, some, we already said, sort of say that, you know, there was this huge, huge statue. Um, but, you know come and go with it yeah. as you sort of will I suppose so the lighthouse was believed to still be standing up until the 12th century but um, apparently in 1477 uh, Mamluk Sultan Qa uh was able to build a fort from its ruins so like you said take a little bit of the parts build yep. something bigger so more into kind of the description of the lighthouse itself 
apparently it too suffered a lot of earthquakes. Yeah. So they were kind of like continuously repairing it. Um, and then so it's believed that that might have adjusted the height anywhere from plus or minus 15% of the yep. estimation. So saying um, it could have been 103 metres or it could have been 118 metres. Um, and if you're looking at like from feet square base on the ground in terms of the width, I suppose, yeah. um, they're saying it could be 30 by 30 metres difference because they're constantly just like stuff's falling. They're adding more stuff there and whatnot, um, trying to make it stronger, for lack of a better term, reinforcing it, right? Yep. So the best and most, what's the word, comprehensive that I'm after, and I don't think that's the right word, but the fullest description of the lighthouse comes from an Arab traveler by the name of Abu Hagag Yusuf Ibn Muhammad El Bawal El Alas Andusuni. Um, Apologize if I butchered that, but I think I did pretty well. Absolutely. Uh, he was said to have visited Alexandria in 1166 CE, and his descriptions and measurements of the interior of the lighthouse's rectangular shaft said that there was an inner ramp um, and it was roofed with masonry at Seven Shabir, which is um, 189 centimetres or 6.2 feet. And he noted that um, it would allow two horsemen to pass at once. Wow. So that's pretty massive when yeah. you think about it. It's not like a little narrow no. thing for one person to kind of side. So if there's an emergency, yeah. they can just get the horses up. Yeah. Um, so... The ramp was kind of set in a clockwise rotation, yep. and it was held by four stories, and each had 18, 14, and 17 rooms um, as you go second, third, and fourth floor, so as you work your way up, um, respectively. So the base of the lighthouse was 45 bar, um, which is converted to 30 meters, or 100 feet long on each side, and they were connected with a ramp that was 600 dirham or 300 metres or 984 feet by 20 long um, dira or 10 metres, 32 feet wide. So they continued to the octangle section, which is the middle part. Yeah. Um, and it was accounted for at 24 bar, which was 16.4 metres or 54 feet in width. And the diameter of the cylindrical section, which was right at the top, was 12.73 bar or 8.7 metres, or 28.5 feet. Um, so, sorry that I'm throwing all these numbers at you, but no. I think it's massive. Like, it is massive. For the time, just the intricacy, I don't know. I'm amazed by it. I'm yeah. not an architecture student, but I think it's pretty cool. So, the actual apex of the lighthouse's oratory was, well, he measured it in diameter at 6.4 bar, or 4.3 metres, also being. 20.9 feet. That's a lot of feet. Sorry. Over half our listeners are American, so I feel like I have to, you know. Absolutely, yes. You've got to accommodate. I have just... feet. We have meters. We're the metric fam. They can do whatever they want. Metric. You know, individuality. Imperial. Metric. Imperial. Metric. Didn't they, wouldn't they have abandoned Imperial, though, because they technically abandoned the Commonwealth? Yes. Okay. Pretty much. Stupid, stupid question. And then, so, he mentioned that the lighthouse was constructed from large blocks of light-coloured stone, but again, that doesn't denote whether it's limestone or the pink granite. Um, 
and we've already said that you know he also described there being like three tiers so the square the octagonal and then the circular section as we already covered and then there was this other guy he was a geographer his name was al idrisi and he said that uh, it was evident that he had a lot of admiration when he looked at the lighthouse in 1154 and he accounted the construction. He spoke about openings in the walls throughout the rectangular shaft. Uh, he said that there was lead that was used as a filling agent between the masonry blocks at the base. And he said that the total height of the um, lighthouse was estimated to be 300 Dehira Rashi, uh, which is 162 meters in equivalence. So he's saying it's a lot larger yep. than us saying, oh, it's about 100 and, you know, plus or minus you know, 30 metres. So, imagine if it was 162 metres. That's... As opposed to, you know, us saying, oh, it could have been anywhere between 103 to 180 metres or 338 feet to 387 feet. Like, I feel like that's a big difference to get wrong. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, and also, how are they... Me- not, no, we're being disrespectful, but how are they measuring it in ancient times? Rope. Shit, you're 100% right. Imagine how much rope you would have to knot to throw that down. Walk along. Yeah, so just... Jeez. And in that day and age, rope would be something... You know. No, of course. I'm just saying, yeah. like, how much rope... Obviously yeah. 164 feet. <laughs> but I'm just saying, do you know They're what I mean? probably just kept tying stuff until it hit the bottom. Yeah. Um, so, apparently, the mirror um, was positioned in such a way during the day where it reflected sunlight because they wanted it to be... Oh, right. Geezer. And uh, a fire was lit each night, obviously, and then because that's how they're going to make a light, right? Fire. Um, Entropy. Also, and then like slight conspiracy theory for you. I don't know the timing of the lighthouse to the library. But imagine if it was the lighthouse that accidentally set fire to the library by focusing the light. Imagine it as a weapon to burn ships. I feel like that's taken from... Wasn't that... Yeah. Isn't that an actual that's an wartime actual thing, tactic? Wartime tactic, using mirrors to burn ships. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, where was I going here? So, extant Roman coins um, that were made, pounded, struck, technically, yeah. by the Alexandrian Mint said that there was a statue of Triton... Um, positioned on each of the building's four corners and that uh, it was actually Poseidon or Zeus that was at the apex, the statue on top. So, you know, some people are saying, oh, it may be Ptolemy 1 or 2. It may be Helios. It may be uh, Alexander himself. The actual Alexandrian mint stamped um, either Poseidon or Zeus. Yeah. And also, just quickly regarding the mirrors, there's a myth saying that they were... uh, Comedies mirrors. So you think a concave mirror, it would have been huge. Um, but they kind of say that they used cannons to light the ships up. But, you know, legendary mathematician Archimedes designed these mirrors to just bum, bum. burn ships. And decimate. Decimate. And then, you know, crazy. Badoo. Dumb question, but how long would it take to, like, how long would it have to be focused on the ship for? Well, depends on how broad the actual focal point is. is. But, I mean, we're talking how high. Was it like a 10-metre tall mirror? Was it 5 metres? To generate the distance, 
obviously focal done. length. Right. Like how much, what is the the focal point and what is the length? So it's but is physics. There any, is there any stuff out there that says how long it took no. for a ship to burn or something like that? I mean, that? we're talking what, 212 tw- uh, BC. Yeah, I was just So it's interesting. Also. So maybe that's another myth we'll cover now okay. because... Okay, add it to the list, fam. Archimedes is crazy. You know, Archimedes screws dealing with agriculture now. You know? So, no, yeah. Look, dude, dude knew what he was doing. So. Absolutely. Uh, so Mr. Al-Masudi also wrote uh, that there was a seaward-facing seaward facing sign aside and it featured an inscription dedicated to Zeus. So that would also reason yeah. that Zeus is... Indeed, the statue right at the top. So, just before the destruction uh, in the 1303 earthquake, um, someone called Ibn Battua, uh, who was a Moroccan scholar and explorer, ended up passing through Alexandria in um, 1326 and 13, no, sorry, 1349. And he noticed the kind of uh, the poor condition of the lighthouse. And he said that there was uh, the rectangle tower appeared to be lower, and the um, the sorry the rectangle tower component, so the bottom tier yep. out of the three, was a lot lower, and so was the entrance ramp. And then his account measured each side of the tower to be 140 shabi, or 30.8 meters, or 101 feet on either side, and. Um, he detailed plans of Sultan Anasir Muhammad to build a new lighthouse near the side of the collapsed one, but um, his plans were never really fulfilled until after his Sultan's death in 1341. Yeah. So, interestingly, the lighthouse disappears from... like. So, we've spoken about like there are three, four people already yeah. that have commented, written works about it, right? But... The lighthouse disappears from any histor- historical record after the 14th century CE, and it's presumed that it might have just spit the biscuit and actually collapsed during another earthquake sometime during the 1330s CE. So then they say, oh, the tower's granite foundations were reused in the uh, Key Bay Fort. So then it's like, so are you confirming that it was granite used, not limestone? Yeah. Right? Um, and that fort was built in the 15th century CE. Uh, modern marine archaeology in the area say that uh, sea, obviously sea level has risen, um, but they have been able to find several stone fragments and two monumental figures of Ptolemy and his queen, Berenice, which may have well belonged to the tower or they might have been pli- pli- placed somewhere around the lighthouse. Yeah. Um, the lighthouse of Alexandria might have also been a much copied veritable wonder, but it wasn't always successful in helping mariners, as marine archaeologists have discovered over 40 wrecks in the area of the ancient harbour of Alexandria. I'm not sure how dating works with that to kind of say, yeah. like, place it before or after. Like, you can imagine that Ptolemy would say, look, we've got a lot of uh, expensive losses out to the harbour. We should build... Oh, yeah. A light tower, so we can't, unless there's some other work that I haven't found, you can't necessarily say that it was before, during, or after the lighthouse. Well, all that we can say is that those earthquakes definitely made light work. All we can say is that there are more submarines, sorry, there are more 
planes in the ocean than there, there are, are submarines, submarines in the sky. sky. So therefore, submarines are the safest form of travel. <laughs> so apparently, um, I also read a statement that says, who can say how many more disasters there would have been without the great lighthouse guiding ships to safety, safely into the port? Into the port. So, getting down to the nitty-gritty Instead, dust. it was more like scotch on the rocks. Well, you're not supposed to drink scotch on the rocks because... Not that I'm a drinker, but um, apparently it... Yeah. Well, it dilutes it, right? Yeah. It bruises it. Like, bruises. It bruises you. it. Yeah. Um, right. So, in terms of destruction, apparently the light... Had, well, we spoke about how like it had been rebuilt or added on to several times. Apparently, at one point, it was partially cracked Jeez. during earthquakes in 17... Sorry, 7... I'm so sorry. 796 and 951. And then there was a structural collapse during an earthquake in 1956, and then again in 1303 and 1323. So the earthquakes were kind of traced back to two well-known tectonic boundaries, the African-Arabian and the Red Sea Rift Zones, which are respectively 350 and 520 kilometres away from the lighthouse. So it's quite far, but when you think about... It's like the Mediterranean. There's a lot of, you know... Stuff are happening. Oh yeah. So it, it reasons like that that would happen. You it's pretty know crazy. I mean? Even though it's so far away, and I don't know if building extra stuff on land absorbs the vibration. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, does having more buildings on the land now, if there was an earthquake, would that kind of Ooh, break it would. the vibration a little bit? I Do you think know what so. I mean? Like muffle it, you'd, absorb you'd, it. You'd think some of the absorption would go through, but there'd be a lot of destruction. Yeah, of course. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, documentation shows the 950... And they say documentation. And then you look for this documentation and you can't find said referenced documentation. But documentation shows that the 956 earthquake was the first to cause structural collapse of the 20... Sorry, the top 20 plus metres of the construction. So the top, top, top 20 plus metres of the lighthouse, right? Yeah. And then documented repairs, don't ask me, couldn't find a peer review, after the 956 earthquake included the instalment of an Islamic style, which was done after the collapse of the statue that previously toppled the monument. So the most destructive earthquake was believed to have occurred in 1303, um, with an intensity of 8 in Roman numerals plus. Ooh. And it originated from the Greek island of Crete, which is about 280 to 350 kilometres um, away from Alexandria itself. Yep. So the stubby remnant that was left of the lighthouse disappeared in 1480 because, as we described, the then Sultan of Egypt uh, built a medieval fort uh, on the platform site of the lighthouse and he used some of the fallen stone. And then... Um, Caliph Ab al-Malik ibn Mawan, who reigned between 705 and 715 uh, of the Byzantines, he sent a eunuch agent who adopted uh, Islam, gained the Caliph's confidence, and secured permission to search for hidden treasure at the base of the lighthouse, as you do, right? 
and the search was cunningly made in such a manner that the foundations were undermined and the Theros collapsed and the agent managed to escape in a ship waiting for him. So a little bit of uh, insider trading going on. Yeah. So a lot of time passes. And then in 1968, the lighthouse was rediscovered. So UNESCO sponsored an expedition to send a team of marine archaeologists um, that were led by Anna Frost to the site. And she confirmed the existence of the ruins and said that they represented part of the lighthouse. But due to the lack of specialised archaeologists and the area becoming a military zone, exploration was put on hold. And then a group of French archaeologists led by uh, Jean-Yves, is that how you say that? Yep. Or Yev? Yep. Emperor. Emperor. I'm sorry, I'm no good with French. Rediscovered the physical remains of the lighthouse in late 1994. Four. Sorry, on the floor of Alexandria's uh, Eastern Harbour. And then, so he worked with a cinematographer called Asma El Bakri who used a 35mm camera to capture the first underwater pictures of the scattered remains of some collapsed columns and statues. And their significant findings consisted of blocks of granite. So there we go, you know, it solves the um, limestone versus granite problem. Yeah. And they estimated that uh, 49 to 60 tonnes in mass had broken into multiple pieces they found about 30 sphinxes, five obelisks, and columns with carvings dating back to Ramses II, who um, was around between 1279 and 1213 BC. So they catalogued over 3,300 pieces, and at the end of 1995, after using a combination of photography and mapping, they ended up with 36 pieces of granite blocks, and some other discoveries have since been restored and they're currently on the display um, in the Alexandria Museums, which I think is pretty good. Very, because very when cool. you think about the British Museum, they like to go, we found it, we take it back home. Yeah. Which I don't think should be done, and I think they should hand back a lot of things. But unfortunately, my voice doesn't have an opinion in said matter. But there are a lot and a lot of, um, what do they call them? Petitions. Yes. Out there that you can sign. I have signed a lot over the years to actually make the British uh, Museum give back ancient Egyptian culture. Yeah. So please do sign them. Apparently, since things have got more high tech, if you will, they've done a lot of satellite imaging and that's further uh, imaged. Oh, wow. Satellite imaging is imaged. Oh, my God, Stephanie, you're fantastic with your words today. Uh, Revealed some locations of further remains. Yep. Apparently in the early 1990s, um, there's this guy called Frank Gudio, and apparently he was like one of the best underwater archaeologists of the time from what I read. And he did the opposite side of the harbour um, from where the other people worked. And um, I wasn't really able to find much about what he found. Um, so a lot of... Other satellite and sonar imaging since has revealed additional um, remains of wharves, houses, temples that all fell into the ocean. They estimate at the same time, like the same yep, earthquake. Everything just, coastal yep, in that area just, just gone. gone, right? I wonder if it was a tsunami, like. Well, to potentially, get all that. but you know, if the plates were shaken, 
Yeah. And the way a lot of these buildings were constructed with pillars and everything, it's everything would have just, it's just toppled, just gone. It's a plain ping pong. It's yeah, gone. gone. Apparently, you can go diving and you can go see the ruins. It's quite expensive. Uh, apparently, the Secretariat of the UNESCO Convention on the Protection of the Underwater Cultural Heritage, because that's a lot of words and it means a lot of things, but basically, they're the group where if you want to have a cultural or heritage site that is underwater, they're the people that you have to file with. And they're trying to say that, uh, sorry, they're working with the government of Egypt to say, look, the Bay of Alexandria, and that obviously includes the remains of the lighthouse, should be listed on the World Heritage List of submerged cultural sites. And then that will mean that that site is protected. Everything will be regulated. I don't know if that means they're going to stop people diving. I can't imagine that that would mean they'll probably like limit it and do it quite safely. Yeah. But that's my personal opinion. You can actually see a lot of, um, well, you can see some pictures out there and people post a lot about what they see on um, when they do these dives yeah. and you can see like you said the columns there's a lot of algae on there and all that barnacles other, that's the word coral and yeah so it's actually a reef pretty much and like look at the size in relation to the person in this one picture that they're, they're pretty damn big so apparently there have been some efforts to rebuild and it's been a lot of ping pong uh, since 1979, apparently there have been a lot of proposals that have said, look, we're going to spearhead the rebuilding of this lighthouse, but we're going to do it more modern. And then apparently in 2015, the Egyptian government themselves and the Alexandria government said, look, let's just build a skyscraper on the site and make it part of the regeneration of the eastern harbour of the Alexandrian port. However, the plan was opposed by... Um, another opposition leader, uh, Alexandria-based socialist Amor Ali. However, there are a lot of modern references to the lighthouse. Um, apparently, there's a well-preserved ancient tomb in the town of Abuzi, which is 48 kilometers or 31, sorry, 30 miles southwest of Alexandria. And it's supposed to be a scaled down um, version of the tower. Um, and it's three stories, approximately 20 metres or 66 feet in height. Again, square base, octagonal midsection, cylindrical upper section, um, very similar to the lighthouse itself. Yep. And it dates back to the same time during the reign of Ptolemy II. Um, therefore, it's believed to be built at exactly the same time. It's just a much more compacted version. Yep. Uh, apparently, a lot of minarets in many, many early Egyptian Islamic mosques followed that design. So it's like rectangle, column, cylinder, you know what I mean? Uh, so it had a lot of influence in terms of the area's architecture. Apparently, and this one is very interesting to me, the George Washington Masonic National Memorial, which is located in, you guessed it, Alexandria, Virginia, <laughs> is... Uh, fashioned after the ancient lighthouse. So, in terms of literature, apparently Julius Caesar wrote about it um, and spoke about the war that happened there or some shit and said that there's no access by the ship to the harbour without the consent of those who hold the pharos. So, uh, Caesar took the precaution of landing his troops um, while the enemy was preoccupied with fighting. Seized pharos, posted yep. garrison there. 
Um, and then he pretty much got safe access and uh, restocked his corn supplies and got some extra corn. reinforcements. All that corn. Yep. Uh, apparently, there was a Romano Jewish historian, Josephus, who was around between 37 and 100 AD. And those are some good innings for the time. Oh, yeah. 37 to 100 AD. Absolutely. Uh, he described the. I was going to say tower because I said skyscraper before, but that's incorrect. The lighthouse in his book, The Jewish War. Um, and he apparently gave a massive graphological overview of Egypt. And there are a lot of books. Um, apparently, a Chinese customs inspector. Um, during the Song Dynasty, he actually visited the lighthouse in 1326. Um, and he pretty much said that, well, he returned after he had fallen and he stated in his work he had found that he had fallen into so ruinous a condition that it was impossible to enter it or to climb up onto the doorway. Jeez. Apparently there's this author called Robert Silverberg and he's a massive sci-fi author. author. Um, and he wrote a novel, uh, Selling to Byzantium. And in this book, he kind of creates a culture for far future, um, like far in the future, but it's very much inspired by ancient civilization and ancient cities. Uh, so he kind of rebuilt the yeah. tower in his world, I guess. Um, kind of getting back to video games, because we've spoken about that with uh, the Temple of Artemis. If yep. you play Civilization... Um, in the 1991 version, apparently uh, you could unlock the lighthouse. It was also a monument um, in Pharaoh Cleopatra that came out in 2000 and Children of the Nile in 2004. It was also a um, wonder in the 2013 strategy game Total War Room 2, where apparently you got a minor boost to the faction by occupying Alexandria. Uh, you know about this one. It was in Ooh, yeah. Assassin's Creed Origins uh, because that was set in ancient Egypt during this same Potomac period. Um, and apparently Ubisoft Montreal did a lot of research and actually spoke to some of the people who were the archaeologists on the teams yeah. to get some information to rebuild it. Apparently if you have SimCity 3000, you can uh, build it as Ooh. a landmark. And it's also referenced in Final Fantasy XII as Pharos. Um, it's the second to last dungeon in the game. And apparently, if you go on to TripAdvisor, it has a four point sorry, it has a four out of five star rating. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say, hey, if you're going to see the pyramids, uh, take a half day detour and check out the ruins because mm-hmm. you can see two wonders in the same city. That's cool. Um, also, on the topic of lighthouses, while we're discussing lighthouses. Did you know, and for all the people out there, did you know that the smallest lighthouse in the world is the Hilbra Island Lighthouse, which has a tower height of only three metres, um, and it's actually 14 metres above water. So, it, Oh, uh, wow. Because I yeah. was thinking you were going to say, oh, it's got massive cliffs of 3,000 no, feet. Um, <laughs> it's tiny. It's uh, And it's just essentially, you know automated now but um so that's the smallest it's three meters um the bit that is kind of crazy that the tallest one in the world is actually uh what is it um it's known as jet of light it's 436 feet or 133 meters and it's located in Jeddah, saudi arabia and was made in 1990 
and uh, yeah, it's currently the world's tallest lighthouse. Sorry for the typing. Let me have a look at some and, pictures. And uh, yeah, it's Whoa, made the structure of, uh, of it. Yeah, it's made of concrete and steel. And um, it looks also, like the um, Toronto space. Sorry, the Space Needle. Yeah, and um, then uh, one of the more famous ones is the uh, Le Eclairez Lighthouse. Um, Le Eclairez means the Scouts. Um, it's essentially 11 metres or 36 feet high and 3 metres 10 feet um, Eclairez is yeah. E-C-L-A-I-R-E-U-R-S. Um, so it's Oh, and that's tiny. more traditional. Like yeah, and it's in Argentina, located in Tierra del Fuego. On this Sibyl-like land Yeah, and island. you can only go there by boat. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, one of the more, you know, famous teeny, ones. Teeny, teeny. Teeny, tiny, but obviously... There's an actual picture of a boat there with people rocking up to yeah. the little island. But then you've got Bell Rock Lighthouse in Scotland. Um, it's one of the world's oldest surviving sea wash lighthouses. Um, was That's beautiful. Built on the Bell Rock, um, 11 miles from the shoreline, Whoa. and it was first lit in 1811. Do you think that they constantly, like... Maintain um, it, yeah. Because yeah. a lot of the lighthouses now become electrified, not so much and candle lit. also they rely on boys too, is exactly. that correct? And uh, I actually remember watching a documentary about the uh, Bell Rock Lighthouse in Scotland. Um, it was pretty much just crazy but um even sort of if you go to another one called corporal lighthouse in estonia uh, it's the third oldest operating lighthouse in the world and it's been uh, operating since 1531 so uh yeah the world's largest is the jetta light but the uh smallest is the hebra island lighthouse and it's essentially just um a little white teal uh, white steel tower um surmounted by a red lantern and it was built in 1927 and it's essentially a port landmark for the Hilbra Swash in the river, the estuary. Wow. So, uh, the more you know. The more you know. So a lot of the lighthouses now are actually electrified, um, automated, um, but there's still some, you know. And also boats and stuff have GPS now. Absolutely. So um, I'm... Don't, a lot of ports have what they call pilots. Yeah. Yep. And so what they do is actually get a chopper. And they drop the pilots onto the boats. Like, I think the Port Melbourne actually yeah. has one too. And they get and in and guide they them. They actually know. They know In their everything. head, like, the current comes here. There's... Apparently, Melbourne's really bad like that. you got because shoals of the channel. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, so essentially... they guide the um, captain or the people's... Yeah, like the harbourmaster. There's, like, yeah, someone, like, harbourmaster or something gets on the boat, the captain or whatever, and then they just guide these ships through. Yeah, apparently they don't even need to reference anything. No, it's like just, a bus driver. It like the it's back like a of bus driver hand. telling a new bus driver where the route is. Apparently exactly. it's brilliant. And there's also another funny one regarding lighthouses, regarding... See, there's... They don't, we don't know whether it's true or not. It's like more like a little bit of a just a myth. Um, there was an aircraft carrier that was telling a ship to get out of the way um, in Canada. And essentially, the communication between the Canadian ship yeah. and the American ship, and it was saying, you are at this heading, get out of the way, we will hit you. And, and they just like, kept no, going, you refuse, out, no, you move out of the you way. It's like, no. It's like, you don't understand, Sand. we're a lighthouse. Yeah. And oh, it's just yeah. hilarious. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. I'm so sorry yeah. for the typing noise, everyone. Yeah, because um, this is a funny story, lighthouse. and I figured this goes... Don't um, move. 
yeah, yeah. verse aircraft carrier or something. It uh, just it's funny because apparently it's an urban legend. Yeah, urban legend. Hold on, hold on. Okay. So the transcript of the radio conversation of a US naval ship with the Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October of 1995. The radio conversation was released by the Chief of Naval Operations on the 10th of the 10th of 95. Americans, please divert... Yes, I'm reading this and I remember it. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. Canadians, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south. To avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States' Atlantic fleet. Fleet, sorry. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's 15 degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of your ship. This is my favorite part. Canadians, this is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> yeah. You know which one I also like? The one where there's a cruise liner and an Air Force guy. Sorry, oh, by, no. by cruise line, I mean a, a plane. It's like the SR-71 Blackbird yeah. crew, and there was an F-18. But they didn't know they didn't that know. Blackbird was up there. And this night, they, I think they, this they talk about... What's it called? A Blackbird, and what was the other one you said? USS-19? Um, uh, it was a uh, F-18 or something. And essentially, the they were basically getting their airspeed from the tower yeah. um, to the plane. And they didn't know. And they didn't know because it was commercial. They were trying to have a go at the commercial It's like, look at me, look how good I am. And then like these little commercials, okay, you know, you're, you're 50 knots to the ground, 100 knots or whatever. And then this Air Force jet went past oh, and it's like, oh, yeah, look how... Are you telling the story? Sorry, it's... Yeah, oh. we'll bring it up. But it's hilarious. Um, it's like... Buzz in the tower or something. Um, oh, what was it again? Yeah, because it's hilarious. It just um, there's an image of it. I used to have the image of it. And, uh, oh, I found it. I found the meme. Okay, and it's like the meme is, and this is the one I first saw. And it's like SR seventy one Blackbird, as badass as it gets. It's supposed to be like a motivational poster that were printed in the nineties. One day, high above Arizona. We were monitoring the radio traffic of all the airlines below us. First, a Cessna pilot asked the air traffic controllers to check his ground speed. 99 knots, ATC replied. A twin bonanza soon made by the, soon made the same request. 120 on the ground, was the reply. To our surprise, an F-18 came over the radio with a ground speed check. I knew exactly what he was doing. Of course, he had a ground speed indicator in his cockpit, but he wanted to let all the bug smashers in the valley know what real speed was. Dusty 52, we show you at 620 on the ground, ATC responded. The situation was simply too ripe. I heard the click of Walter. Now, Walter is his... Yeah. you know how there's two people in the cockpit? There's one at the front that's the driver and there's one at the back that's supposed to arm the weaponry and also be the nav, right? Yeah. And so Walter is the guy at the back. And is Walter the guy at the back? I think Walter's the guy at the back. Yeah, Walter's the guy at the back. I heard the click of Walter's mic button in the rear seat. In his most innocent voice, 
Walter started the controller by asking for a ground speed check from 81,000 feet. In a cool, professional voice, the controller replied, Aspen 20, I show you 1,982 knots on the ground. We did not hear another transmission on that frequency all the way to the coast. It's just That's not the full one, but I remember having that. Yeah, because um, I've got the full one here. Okay. Um, and so if anyone wants to skip this, just, they can. No, give me the link too so I can put it up. Yeah, it's, up when uh, you're done. it's you just. Read it out. Read okay. the transcription. So, Major Brian Schull. Schull was the first pilot to write a book about flying the SR 71. This story comes from his book Sled Driver Flying the World's Fastest Jet, first published in 1991. Now it's in its sixth printing. Walter and I had just completed the 100 hours required to attain mission-ready status in the jet. Ripping across the Arizona desert, 80,000 feet below us, I could already see the coast of California. I was beginning to feel a bit sorry for Walter in the back seat. There he was, with no really good view of the incredible sights before us, tasked with monitoring four different radios. The predominant radio chatter was from Los Angeles Center, controlling daily traffic in the sector. While they had us on their scope, albeit briefly, we were in uncontrolled airspace and normally would not do talk to them unless we needed to descend into their airspace. We listened as the shaky voice of a lone Cessna pilot asked Center for a readout of his ground speed. Center replied, November Charlie 175, I'm showing you at 90 knots on the ground. Now the thing to understand about Center controllers was that whether they were taking to a, or talking to a rookie pilot to a pilot in a Cessna or to Air Force One, they always spoke in the exact same calm, deep, professional tone that made one feel important. I referred to it as the Houston Center voice. <laughs> Conversely, over the years, pilots always wanted to ensure that when transmitting, they sounded like Chuck Yeager, or at least <laughs> like John Wayne. Better to die than sound bad on the radios. Just moments after the Cessna's inquiry, a twin beach piped up on frequency in a rather superior tone, asking for his ground speed. I have you at one, two, five knots on of ground speed. Boy, I thought the Beechcraft really must think he is dazzling his Cessna brethren. <laughs> then, that's it, that's the line. Then, out of the blue, a Navy FA-18 pilot out of Naval Air Station Lemoore came up on frequency. You knew right away it was a Navy jock because he sounded very cool on the radios. Center, Dusty 5-2 ground speed check. Before Center could reply, I'm thinking to myself, Hey, Dusty 5-2 has a ground speed indicator in that million dollar cockpit, so why is he asking Center for a readout? Then I got it. Old Dusty here is making sure that every bug smasher from Mount Whitney to the Mojave knows what true speed is. He's the fastest dude in the valley today, and he just wants everyone to know how much fun he is having in his new Hornet. And the reply, always with the same calm voice, with more distinct alliteration than emotion, Dusty 5-2, Center, we have you at 6-2-0 on the ground. And I thought to myself, is this a ripe situation or what? As my hand instinctively reached for the mic button, I had to remind myself that Walt was in control of the radios. Still, I thought it must be done. That hornet must die and die now. Then I heard it. The click of the mic button from the back seat. That was the very moment that I knew Walter and I had become a crew. Very professionally, Walter spoke. Los Angeles Center, Aspen 20. Can you give us a ground speed check? There was no hesitation. Aspen 2-0, I show you at 1842 knots across the ground. I think it was the 42 knots that I liked the best. So accurate and proud was Center to deliver that information without hesitation, and you just knew he was smiling. Walt keyed the mic once again to say in his most fighter pilot-like voice, 
Uh, center, much thanks, was showing closer to 1900 on the money. For a moment, Walter was a god, and we finally heard a little crack in the armor of the Houston center voice when LA came back with, Roger that Aspen, your equipment is probably more accurate than ever. You boys have a good one. It all had lasted for just moments, but in that short, memorable sprint across the southwest, the Navy had been flamed. All mortal airplanes on frequency were forced to bow before the King of Speed. And more importantly, Walter and I had crossed the threshold of being a crew. A fine day's work. We never heard another transmission on that frequency all the way to the coast. Every time Every I read time. that, I laugh. It is hilarious because, as we both know, we're both fans of the SR-71 Blackbird. So... Obviously, down the track, there probably is going to be a little talk on the SR-71 because there's also the SR-72. You know, they replaced it with something that they're not talking about. Absolutely. Though, right? And I'm telling you right now, it's automated. It's a, oh, Come on. It's a drone. As if they wouldn't ask someone to fly that, oh, though. Come just, on. But 1,842 knots across the ground. What does that do to your body? It's like, Mac, like you nearly th- Mac 2. You know, apparently in that plane you can get around the world like... Yeah. Oh, Ooh. I feel like having dinner in California tonight. Yeah. And essentially, <laughs> you know, you, you go around in that thing in a spacesuit. Yeah. But well, just, of course. Just imagine well, what the hornet... Do you know how hot the outside oh, gets? Super hot. The amount of that friction. It actually is a spacesuit and they have to be locked in a certain way and everything. It's nuts. Apparently they burn... When they get out of yeah. the aircraft. But anyway, we should probably... Um, I was going to wrap this up. Yep. And then I got a notification from Twitter that um, Postmates, which is the US equivalent of Uber Eats, right? They're initiating a non-contact meal delivery because of the coronavirus So it's a shop outbreak. and drop. So basically, um, they're inducing, introducing drop-off options. So you can say, uh, instead of meet me at my door... Or meet me at my curbside. You can say no contact, so they will um, leave my order at my door. Wow! So it'll be interesting to see if Uber Eats does that here for us. Yeah. But anyway, Hazel, I'm so sorry. Um, we're gonna have to wrap this up yep, yep. because I don't know how long this has gone on for. If anyone would be interested in us starting the Seven Wonders of the Modern World, Seven Wonders of the Natural World. Um, seven Wonders of the Industrial World. I think I want to cover them regardless. Yep. But if anyone wants one or the other um, in advance, please decide to let us know. Do you have anything else to add? No, no, no. Um, that was fun to go from Lighthouses to the SR-71. That was funny. Sweet. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Um, so, as always, if there's a specific topic that you would like us to cover, we have that form in all our descriptions. Uh, just give us a few keywords about it. Um, also your handle, whatever handle you prefer, yep. and your pronouns so we can correctly um, refer to you. Absolutely. We're on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, YouTube. They've been giving me a lot of issues lately because Podbean normally used to automatically yep. upload. So this week, without me knowing, that service was switched off. Oh. And so I ended up uploading the podcast to YouTube, I think about 12 hours later. So I'm sorry if that affected anybody. Um, I did not know, for lack of a better term, because YouTube, right? Yep. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, or you can email us at controllersandcouches at gmail.com. He's Full Metal Chicken on YouTube. You can find me pretty much everywhere else. Yep. Uh, Follow my Goodreads. Yep. Um, And I think that's it for us today. 
Absolutely. May the force be with you. And may the force be with you. you. Yes. And uh, on that note, uh, we feel the need, the need for speed. Happy 35th episode to our podcast. Thanks for listening. um, Thanks for watching. We're getting close to a year. Yes. Even though we've been podcasting longer than you, it's just been sporadic over the course of three years. And if you ever find anyone in your backyard, invite them in and let them have a listen too. (laughs) uh, Um, Thank you so much, everyone. Have a fantastic week. And you'll hear from us next week. Yes. Hopefully from quarantine. Absolutely. Because I won't be at home. Stop a cup on books, people. Absolutely. Because if the power gets cut out, you're going to want to have something to do. And if you run out of toilet paper, there's always books. Stop that. (laughs) And on that note, we're signing off. Until next week. All right, bro. (laughs) Bye for now.